When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When this farm meets world. What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Brown Meets World. When this farm meets world. Your boy meets world fan cast. And I got to tell you guys, we have Can a I just treat stop? for you today. I've noticed that you're starting to sing a Boy Meets World fan cast. And I love that this whole thing is becoming a fucking song, bro. This is becoming like, a musical. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, we have a treat for you guys today. But before we do that, I should introduce myself. I'm Siege. I am Tony Curtis. How are you, Siege? I am on Cloud Nine. Why? Ooh. Because today... Cloud Nine. <laughs> Singing? Is that what we're doing? It just feels like a very musical episode. I don't know. You know what, guys? You didn't know this episode was a musical like Wonka. Surprise. The whole thing a musical. <laughs> I would never do that to someone, <laughs> uh, mostly because of my singing. However, I do love the idea of a musical episode. Um, wow. Anyway, you guys, very much like a musical episode, we have an unexpected surprise for you today. Ooh. We have an interview with one of the, not one of the writers, but one of the most iconic writers of Boy Meets World, of television in general. Um, we interviewed Gary H. Miller. Gary is a writer of episodes such as If You Can't Be With The One You Love. Um, we'll have oh, hold, on, hold on a second. You Can't Be With The One You Love, just so you guys know, is the season five episode where Corey gets drunk with Sean because the pranger broke up with him. That's the kind of important episode we're talking about. I'm sorry, go ahead. We'll have a good time then. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We'll have a good time then. The episode in season six in which Sean's dad comes back promises to give the world to Sean, and then dies before the end of the episode. That's the kind of important episode we're talking about. I'm sorry, go ahead. You're married, you're dead. Again, by the way, I've learned this, just stop and let you do it. Go ahead. <laughs> you're married, you're dead. The episode in which to, uh, Corey takes off his wedding ring and goes to the Hooters-esque club with uh, Gambling Dan, the man that you are oddly attracted to in season six. Again. And would do it again, no apology. Also, he wrote the latest uh, episode that we reviewed, season seven, episode four, No Such Thing as a Sure Thing. Now, we did not have great that... <laughs> thoughts about that episode, but we love him. Absolutely. <laughs> all of that said, this man has worked on The Fresh Prince. Uh, I'm sorry, world. a Bel Air? A Bel Air. A Different World. The Cosby Show spinoff. And um, Reba. But he also has writing credits on shows like Laverne and Shirley, Laverne and Shirley, Homeboys in Outer Space. My and, favorite show of all time. And mid- Bosom Buddy starring Bosom Tom Buddy. Hanks and Peter Scolari. Exactly. Uh, you guys, it's a treat. If you've stuck with us this long, then you know we nonsense, we crazy. But this episode, amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. Um, Just make sure to check it out. And welcome to the show, Gary H. Miller. Hi, how are you? Welcome to our podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. 
We're so excited to have you on today. You know, I we were just kind of looking over your um your IMDb, your Wikipedia, looking over your film. We couldn't believe the titles that you had on your resume. Laverne and Shirley, like I didn't be- I couldn't believe you go for so far back. Like that just you've worked on some incredible shows and we're so excited to have you on. Could you just do us a favor, introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Gary H. Miller. The H stands for Hollywood, not really. Love um, it. It stands for Howard, but I use H because there was another Gary Miller in the guild. I was uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Graduated Brooklyn College, became a school teacher. Taught school for eight years in the uh, New York City school system. A uh, long story that we probably need another full podcast to talk about. I was plucked from the New York City school system by Gary Marshall, who wow. is legendary, prolific, yes. uh, prolific producer at the time. And in fact, he had happy days with Vernon Shirley, Mark and Mindy, Angie, uh, on and on, you know. And one day I was teaching school in New York City, and the next day I was walking through the gates of Paramount Studios. So, wow. Wow. Like, uh, I got, like I got on a rocket ship, and I landed on another planet. Because as I walk through the gates, now remember, I'm an inner city kid, I'm a working class family, and what do I know about Paramount Studios? I just knew what I, people from TV, there were celebrities on my television. I walk through the gates of Paramount and I see Fonzie, Ralph, wow. Richie Cunningham. I said, well, what am I doing here? And so, yeah, Gary gave me my break. God, may he rest in peace. God bless you. That's so great. You're right. Like you are talking about ledge television legends. Um, how did you get involved with Boy Meets World? Well, how did I get to Boy Meets World? Because that's a, a long time later. <laughs> um, I, I had worked with the two current execs at the time, uh, Howard Busgang and Mark Blutman. So I had a connection yeah. there. I also was pretty well liked by a Disney executive, uh, uh, David Himmelfarb. And he basically recommended that they bring me on. And so, I, you know, I joined. I, you know, it was, a, it was a, a great show, a great show, and a great experience. Too. It's so um, interesting. You know, you were saying that you were a school teacher. You worked on Boy Meets World. I could also see that you did a lot of episodes of A Different World. What did your experience as an educator, like how did you bring that into the shows that were revolved around education? Well, you know, Different World, I'm sure you're familiar with the, with the, with the show. Uh, it was just a different beast completely. I mean, oh, wow. Saturday Night Live used to make fun of our show because – we seem to be so serious every week. You know, we dealt with very prominent social themes. And, and you know, it wasn't that it wasn't funny. We had a lot of funny episodes, but boy, we, we hit it at certain themes and all that. So um, my experience uh, with, with many, many different types of people was extremely helpful for me in trying to deal with social issues because I, I dealt with those as a school teacher. There's no better baptism under fire than being a school teacher in, in a city like New York. Completely agree. I used to live in New York and New York, you meet all kinds of characters and all kinds of personalities. And to T's point, to kind of use that history as a school teacher in those places for a TV show about education, I find that very amazing. Were you always a storyteller? No, no, no. And in fact, you know, so many of the episodes that I've done are these serious ones, you know, I'm, I'm sure 
we'll get to talk about some of them, especially on Different World, gave me the opportunity to do that. But, you know, I think my biggest talent was being funny. So I had to <laughs> somehow balance the two. But I found out that now when I look back on the episodes that I've written from Laverne and Shirley to uh, Boy Meets World, there were some very dramatic themes throughout. So I kept gravitating back to that. Um, I even did at one time for CBS, I did a, a sitcom pilot about uh, Midnight Mission Homeless Shelter. So, I mean, how funny uh, is that? <laughs> exactly. You're known for a lot of the episodes that you've done. Um, just to list off some of the few, it's If You Can't Be With The One You Love, which is the alcohol episode notorious it's banned on disney plus but like it's such a big episode and you won an award for it that's a pretty heavy topic i did and and uh, interesting about that relationship with disney is you know us writers when shows go into syndication that becomes our bread and butter after a while but i started getting checks for my uh boy meets world episodes and none for that and then I found out that Disney took it out of syndication because of the topic. So here I was winning an award for this for the topic, and Disney said, "Well, we don't want anybody watching this now. <laughs> you know, we don't want wow. we don't want them to see Corey drinking alcohol. We don't want to see Corey and Sean urinating on a police car." <laughs> so they took it out of out of circulation. It's a shame because it's such an important episode and actually I think plays a big part in the seasonal arc that Corey goes on that season, um, yeah. both Corey and Sean. Um, you, you, when it comes to an, a very special episode of television, is that something that you have to get approved by the network? Like, hey, we're going to do something really serious this episode, or is it just par for the course? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a constant battle and you never know, uh, you know, and I don't play video games, but I know you knock down one, obstacle and then something else pops up and that's how it is with network television um you know i i was a showrunner of uh, fresh prince of bel-air and yeah. i went in and took over that show in its fourth season and uh i told will i want to uh, age you up i don't want you to be this uh, kind of herky jerky high school kid i'm gonna put you in college uh, of course that was my experience from different world i was kind of I want to serious us up a little bit, you know? Yeah. And so I said, I want to give you a girlfriend. There's a whole story about that, about finding him a girlfriend. And of course, um, Fresh Prince was, we, our first priority is to make it funny, it was. But the major episode under my watch was the father episode. And oddly enough, I repeated that in a sense on Boy Meets World. So the, the, the relations of fathers and sons have been very important for me. I did two episodes of Different World that dealt also with the father-son relationship. Yeah. And I'm a father. I used to be a son. Uh, so <laughs> you know, it's not foreign to me. But th those themes and the alcohol theme keeps recurring. Believe it or not, the first scripted episode I wrote for Laverne and Shirley was called What Do You Do With a Drunken Sailor? And it was about Shirley's brother being drunk. It's, it's unheard of on Laverne and Shirley. What are we doing here? So, you know, in, in today's day with, with media, you know, people can tell you how much they hate everything. But back in those days, you didn't know what an audience response was to an episode, you know? And you just, you know, you kind of, you did it and it was in a vacuum and you hoped it was good, and but you never really knew. But now, you know, everybody tells you whether it's, it's good or it stinks. 
Gary, I have uh, to tell you how big of a deal it is for us to talk to you because Boy Meets World and Fresh Prince are my favorite shows of all time. Like, these are our two favorite shows. Like, so the fact that you had a hand in both, specifically, like, I know exactly what you're talking about with season four of Fresh Prince, the Will going into college, getting a girlfriend, but the father episode, the, what, what was it? Papa's got uh, a brand new excuse. The Ben Vereen. Yes. Amazing job. Probably one of the most I, iconic. Honestly, iconic, iconic episodes of television. Um, we, I, we talk about that episode to this day. And the fact that you had a hand in it, I just want to tell you, like, that I think is probably one of the highlights of that entire series was seeing not just that story, but the way it elevated Will's performance to oh, meet the emotional depths that the story was demanding. The, of final, scene, the final scene. This was just, it was so emotional on the stage. Uh, and, and I've seen it a hundred times and it still never fails to move me. It, it is just, it, it, it's so real in, in, you know, in the guise of this television show. You know what I mean? The, yeah. This silly guy, you know, character, Will Smith, and you say, no, he's real. You know, and look, look, he has a real problem. And there's a real reason why he moved in with the, his aunt and uncle. It's not just silliness and all that. So, um, yeah, it was a wonderful, and, and oddly enough, uh, my comedy resume it was voted, I think, in one one poll, the saddest moment on all of television. <laughs> yes, exactly. You do a lot of hard, like even um, in Boy Meets World, you did the "We'll have a good time then," which is the episode in which Chet dies. And first and foremost, we love the character Chet. I feel like. Chat is so complex, but to to your point, to bring in that father son dynamic yes. is so hard hitting. It's one of the most emotional episodes. And um, what made you unafraid to like write to to like kill off a character in that way, or constantly separate a son from his father? Again, that's a theme I've been dealing with. I had the idea, got the approval to do it. I mean, I couldn't do that without it being sanctioned, of course. And then went with it. And, you know, a lot of people didn't like it. You're killing off a character. And, in fact, they brought Chet back as a ghost later on because people loved And Blake was wonderful. Uh, I mean, Ben Vereen was sensational. Yes. Blake, Blake has got a, a great quality. He plays this gruff character. You want to hate him, but there's something about him that you love. And, and, and you know, that comes through. You know, it's, it's not the dialogue. It's, 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 it's not just the situation. It's this guy. This guy's so good at it. You know, and that's what sets an actor apart from other actors. He can pull that off. And so afterwards, you, your heart tugs and my God, this horrible father, these boys lost this horrible father and it's devastating. And so, you know, it, when it mirrors life, if you can get to that point in a sitcom where you're mirroring life, it, it, it's a pretty, pretty satisfying accomplishment. It's, it's really powerful. And the thing that we love about, I mean, that episode specifically is Chet is always so funny, even in these highly serious situations. That balance of humor and heart is the thing that makes it, like, I guess a sitcom still, that you don't veer too far into the drama, is that you're able to keep that comedic element there. That seems like it would be such a balancing act. Is that something that 
you feel like comes really easily to you? Or do you have to work with other writers to kind of find the right balance of comedy and drama in, in those episodes? I, I, I enjoy it. Whenever I try and write drama, and I have, it's, it's never without its comedy. It's just the way my mind works, in a sense. It's why I got into this field in the first place because I kind of think funny, but at the same time, what is funny about a, 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 a basically a deadbeat father, you know? And, yeah. and, and it, but, but when, when you try and make him real and not make him, he's a standard kind of father who neglected his kids and he's a bad guy and he's going to disappoint him. You say, what, what, what makes them want to love him? What makes them want him to be there for them? And sometimes it's personality. And, 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 you know, you could be a bad father and have a great personality. Oh, my yeah. father makes me laugh. He makes everybody laugh. Everybody loves him, but I hate him. You know, all that stuff swirling around. And then, you know, if you can extrapolate from that, you know, that character, it, 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 it works. Or hopefully it works. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say, we often talk about that specifically with Chet. The idea of Chet, we know, everyone knows that Chet's not a good father. But man, is he charming. Man, can he command a room. And that kind of struggle of being the child of someone who you know will disappoint you, but also, man, do you love to watch him work. Oh, um, he's awful. He's, uh, there, there are two moments in there. I hope I hope the world missed it. But he's actually, uh, you know, he's hitting on, on, on the roommate when he says, you know, I'm saying, you know, my wife's dead now and all that, you know. And it sounds like a joke, but he's kind of testing the waters there too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, we are entering season seven. Well, we're not entering. We're in season seven right now. Um, and season seven has a reputation um, um, in in the series as a whole. But we also know that there were showrunners who had left um, and, you know, just changes. This is the final season. Did you feel a change in the writer's room? Michael Jacobs took over from uh, Blutman and Busking. Yes, correct. And, and, and that was it. I mean, Michael Jacobs... I, I started with Blutman and Buskang. Yeah. And Michael took over in the middle of that season. And he, we were together for the remainder of the show. I didn't work long enough with uh, Howard and Mark to really, you know, gauge what the, the room was like and what the season would be like. Uh, but three years in with Michael Jacobs uh, is uh, an experience. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well said. We, we we take that for what we've we've heard so many uh you know so many stories about Michael you know just about who what kind of person he was but also what kind of creative entity he was and what he kind of inspired out of other people. What do you think was the thing that you learned from working with uh, Michael Jacobs during the show's run? Uh, to to fight what I believe for what I believe. Listen, I'll I'll shoot from the hip. You know, I got nothing to lose anymore. I'm not going to say. Um, it was always pleasant because it wasn't, but at the same time, it was it was a nice show. I love the cast. I love the people I work with, my fellow writers. I made some wonderful, wonderful friends. You know, it's like a family. You're on a show for a couple of years. You spend more time with them than you do with your, your own family, your real yeah. family. And uh, they become quite important in your life, and depending on what's going on in your life at the time, too. So uh, that's always uh, near and dear to me. And just recently on the Writers Guild strike line, we all got together. I don't know if Mark talked about it because he yeah. was instrumental in, in getting us together. And we all got together again with the cast. And boy, it was like, we were pretty wonderful. Cause it's been 20 years. Yeah. I was actually there that day. Um, <laughs> like when, when everyone came together for the oh, show. Are you in the picture with us? Are you uh, yeah, I actually, um, 
What's funny is I specifically didn't want to be in it, so I stood behind the sign. But <laughs> I was there when you all were were together, uh, and it was it was great to see, and it did feel like a, a, a big family reunion um, to witness. I guess with us, um, we are covering no such thing as a sure thing right now, which is the mm-hmm. episode where Topanga and Corey get back together, and they decide that they're going to get married. And I said, looking over your filmography with boy meets world it seems like they always brought you in to kind of like bring the heart back in we would get a little zany and then you you would have a storyline that kind of like brought the heart back in did you ever feel that way or were you just like given a specific slot in the script and you were like i'll make it it's interesting you know thank you because i I consider it a compliment uh because i like to write with heart i think i've i told that to my writers when i'm running shows i said listen we, I want to be as funny as we can be, but if, if we can get a little hot in there, you know, uh, it doesn't it doesn't hurt, of course. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I wrote a couple of silly ones too. I mean, the the gambling episode was ridiculous, but uh, you know, oftentimes you gotta you can't, we're not doing a drama, you know, you gotta do some silly ones too. But uh, the whole notion of Corey and Topanga, you gotta remember, either it's a precocious relationship. They got together when they were quite when they were young, and, yeah. and um, they are getting married quite young, especially, well, today's standards, right? But yeah. uh, even, even back then. So, you know, and the whole, the, the themes with Corey, he's a hypochondriac. He's really like a little old man in a young boy's body. That's what it is, you know? And 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 uh, so uh, a lot of it has to deal with his his need to be able to stand up to Topanga for what she's so much stronger than he is in a sense and seemingly much more wise than he is and they're the same age in a sense. But they love each other and that always comes through. You know, you've worked on a lot of episodes that had a lot of heart. I noticed that you worked on the finale of this episode of the season, um, like the actual series finale. What is it like to wrap up a series? Is there a lot of weight on, on, on the on the writing staff to end strong? Is there a lot of reviewing of previous episodes and scripts to kind of like in, in bring everything to a close? What What is it like to actually get to a final point with the series? Well, a season's a long haul, so we're all tired. So it's a relief. But then again, there's a great sadness. And of course, in a series finale, you know, the, we're never going to be together again like this. You know, and you see it a lot with 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 casts of shows that end and and they're interviewed and they talk about you know how sad it was that they were shooting and they were crying and all this and that, right? And it's basically the same feeling. And there are other shows where you hate each other. It's good to good to go. <laughs> Depends on the. Depends on where it is. Um, One of the things that we've talked about a lot, we are, you mentioned it earlier. It's very easy to be a voice to critique writing nowadays. We very often break down these storylines and we're like, we we should have done this. Why didn't they do that? What can you tell our audience about like the process of writing television specifically at that time and maybe what's changed or why could some like continuality be lost or any other things like that? I like to address maybe the, the the new relationship with the audience, which was non-existent even 20 years ago, which is people weighing in, uh, and, 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 you know, trolls or, or 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 the opposite, which is you know complimentary people. But um, like I said, we used to do it in a vacuum, and now um, I'll give you a, one example. I wrote a and again serious thing. I was on Bosom Buddies, and I wrote a theme. Uh, where uh, Peter Scolari's character Henry had jilted a deaf girl in high school, 
And uh, she asked him to the prom and he, he made up some excuse not to go with her. And she ran off and now it's their high school reunion years later and she shows up. And so, you know, we use a real deaf actress uh, and, and, and it was also very, very uh, a heartfelt episode. Uh, and it wasn't often that you'd see a deaf character on television, let alone in a sitcom, you know? And so I wrote that in 1982, when, when it aired. I, I did win an award for it for the California State Board of the Handicap, but that's all I knew about it. And then the day after it aired, a mother called in to our studio and said she has a deaf daughter they watched the show together and it was wonderful. And to me, that that was, you know, as heartwarming as it could be. Now, of course, if somebody, if I if I went and <laughs> looked at a, a thousand comments that said this was awful, this was terrible, she wasn't really deaf, we don't believe, you know, but it, 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 it's become something else. And I've got another interesting story, I hope. Um, it's, it's kind of dark. Um, so I used to be the head writer and showrunner of uh, HBO series called First and Ten, which was a football sitcom. I don't know if you have any knowledge of it. We do. This, this show had OJ Simpson, OJ, correct? OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson. Yeah. I wrote his character into the show. I worked with him for years. You know, uh, he was OJ Simpson. America, remember, America loved OJ Simpson. They well, recently, OJ. a couple of years ago, I wrote a magazine article that was published called OJ and Me which chronicled, chronicled my relationship with O.J. Simpson right up until the, 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 the end. And so it goes off, you know, it goes live. And a woman wrote, how could you ever associate with, with that killer? Yeah. And I said, lady, when I worked with him, he wasn't a killer. I didn't yeah. How would I know he's a killer? I don't, you know, how would I know that? So, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Really. Sure. Um, well, I'm so glad you brought up first and ten because as soon as I saw that OJ was the star of that show, I had questions. So you've answered them, and I I appreciate that. Um, what? Well, I just... yeah, yeah, I have some anecdotes. Yeah, but so again, this is this is this is we're going way off into a place where people don't find anything about it humorous anymore. So you got to be careful. You know, I'll tell an anecdote, and it's you know, but the bottom line is, ugh, you know. So. <laughs> But, but to your point, at that time, O.J. Simpson was a very charismatic star. You've worked with a lot of charismatic actors, whether it be Tom Hanks in Bosom Buddies or, or Will Smith in Fresh Prince or the cast of um, Boy Meets World. Is there something different you have to do as a writer to feed into these talents that you naturally have? Or do you bring a little bit of yourself to these performers every time? Well, I was, I was new. It was young. I'd only been writing for about three years when I worked in Bosom Buddies. It was all new to me. Tom and Peter were just incredible talents. And of course, they both went on to prove the point, and especially Tom. Uh, Peter's not with us anymore, but Peter was as good as Tom, especially on, on that show. Um, so I wasn't really, but with Will, by the time I got to Will Smith, uh, I had earned my stripes and uh, I sat him down. And I think one of the things he liked about me was the fact that I wasn't saying yes, 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 Mr. Smith, it's your show. I said, this is what I don't like about the show. This is what I want to change. This is what I want you to do. And also, I don't like how you do this on stage. And, and it was like, you can't talk to him like that way. But I did. And I think he respected that. And I'll never forget, I said, 
What I want us to do in the show, we've got 22 minutes to tell a story, and it's got to move. I want it to move fast, you know, because if it's not good, we'll get it over with quickly. But if, but if it's good, it'll be okay then, too. And I sat him down, and I made him watch episodes of the old sitcom, uh, You'll Never Get Rich, which is a Sergeant Bilko. It was a black and white with Phil Silvers. And Phil Silvers is the main character, and he drives those episodes. It doesn't matter what the episode is about. You get on that train, and he just pulls it right through. And I sat down with Will. I said, watch this. You could learn from this. And was, wow. We initially, we initially had that kind of rapport. And then we, you know, as things happen, egos get in the way, and especially with big stars. And, um, you know, one thing leads to another. Now, of course, talk about Infamous, look what just happened with him. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, in all honesty, <laughs> I think one of the things we're learning is that Hollywood is a very high-pressure place that requires a lot of egos to interact with each other. And that sometimes shows itself in different ways. <laughs> You've done so much amazing work. As we said, A Different World, Fresh Prince. I'm not going to lie, Reba. These are all shows that just like hit in the Black community. Is there anything specific? Well, don't leave that. Give me a break if you want to stay in the Black community. I'm going to say, give yeah. me a break. Brandy, like I like you wrote so many TV shows that really hit and connected with uh, the black community specifically, um, but people of color. And is there any difference between writing on a show like that versus writing on a show like Boy Meets World or? Oh, absolutely, it's a great question because um, on a different world, I wrote a racial violence episode that was so controversial but to this day. And unfortunately, the message... That's the one with Dean Kane. Yes. 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 And that was so powerful in every way from the table read, where the cast was incensed at my script. They were angry at me. They said terrible things to me. They said, we're not going to say these things. We're not going to let other people say these things to, to us. And I said, you're going to have to if you want the story to be true. If you, if you want to not hear what a white racist Dean Kane character, character, keep going. Italian kid from Brooklyn feels about the black community. Then what do we have here? You know, it, it, it's not going to be good. And so it was a struggle. It was probably the worst week of my life, and maybe the best show I've ever written. And so. that episode, uh, honestly, like that episode in the Will Smith father episode within my, just my own community, within my own family, my own friends are episodes that get talked about and have been talked about and brought up to me throughout the years, throughout like uh, randomly people will bring up these episodes to me. They made such an impact. I, I mean, I'm probably on everyone, but on our community, especially, they are such pivotal uh, pillars in television for us. Yeah, well, Different World, as I said, gave me a chance to, uh, I, you know, you, you take real life and say, can I put this in the episode? And in, in, in that year, in 1991, the PGA, the Professional Golf Association, uh, was having a tournament at a restricted country club. It was a little bit in the news, a little bit of furor, but they were going ahead to do it. And I said, that's horrible. And I wrote an entire episode about restricted country clubs. Corey's father was invited to the white country club. 
And basically, you know, of course, he's taking to make you a token. He says, no, no, this is an opportunity for us. And the two sides was, it's an opportunity for us to get in and there'll be more black people in all. And so you had that, that the, the younger generation, the older generation, and also the conflict with those uh, two causes, you know. And so, you know, it was just good stuff, good stuff, but hard. You know I'm going mean? to say, you say that you are a comedic writer, which I'm sure you are. But the number of heart episodes that you have, I think, like, I, if that's what it takes, I want you to continue okay. to write <laughs> funny episodes. <laughs> let, me say, let me say it myself. Okay, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm breaking too much here. So let me go to the funny side. The opening episode of season four of Freshman to Bel Air, the last scene, the bungee jump scene. Oh my gosh. Hillary, <laughs> will you marry? And then the take of the family, the camera stays on them, and there's not a word said. It's just the look of shock on their faces. Hillary's standing in her wedding dress. She doesn't know what the hell happened, right? And after all that silence, Will says, I'm not a bungee jump expert, but I don't think he's supposed to be smashing into the ground like that. And I, I think you know, so if you say to me, what's the greatest thing you've ever written? It, it may not be the serious one. It's that one. It's that you one. It's that you one. get those lines in, and that is hilarious. You just described a core memory. I remember be sitting in front of the television and watching that episode live. Because, like, I I haven't gone bungee jumping since. <laughs> you you as soon as you mentioned it i was able to quote it that's how ingrained it is into me and also i remember watching that episode and i i'm sure it was a live audience because there was like a pause yeah. for the audience to get their laughter out because yeah. they couldn't they couldn't like i remember that i was watching the actors and being like wow they're having to wait for the audience to calm down the take was so long and you don't usually do that and in sitcom where it was just, they were frozen in shock and we just stayed on them and stayed on them and stayed on them. It was just, the longer we stayed on them, the just funnier it got, you know? And <laughs> Iconic, um, iconic. Speaking of iconic television, um, recently we had the passing of Norman Lear, um, <laughs> who was foundational in iconic television himself. Um, you have been working in the industry since Laverne and Shirley. You've given us so many amazing episodes of television. What do you think is different about television from back then versus television now? Well, I have to say, uh, I worked for Norman. He hired me. In 1989, uh, his company had three to do, to develop. So I was with him for about nine months doing wow. developing. So I have a, a, a so, so a brief relationship with him. Not, we didn't get real close or anything like that. Um, uh, they talk about you couldn't put all on the family on today. Yeah. Yeah. So how sad is that? Yeah. Well, I think they can. They just call it Family Guy. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you, you, you can get away with a lot of stuff in cartoons, right? But you can't do, yeah. you know, I, you know, and, and all the family, you know, broke a lot of ground and all that. But now, with with, with wokeness, and I'm not criticizing it at all, uh, but with anything that's said is going to be offensive to somebody else, uh, it's very hard to get it get it done. And and you know, I don't think well, they couldn't do all the family today. Archie Bunker would be reviled. 
It's a shame because it's actually interesting when you go back and watch those All in the Family episodes that the issues that they're dealing with, which were so controversial, were actually conversations that were so relevant to society at the time. And yeah. I, I, I would actually go on the limb and say that probably now more than ever, dialogue between different people who are in their own secluded bubbles and getting to know their fellow Americans and whatever, you know, bubbles that they're in is actually probably more needed than ever. If those conversations can be had in a, in a way that maybe has a sense of humor to it. I agree. Totally. Totally. I do wonder how much of it is the audience not wanting that and the uh, studios not being willing to take those chances, because I feel like we, as people who continue to watch older television especially ones that were challenging and brought up you know uncomfortable conversations as long as you made us laugh as long as you made us feel we don't mm -hmm. care because you made us think uh, along with it and i do wonder how much of the lack of television that is challenging is the audience versus um the studios yeah it's, I, I don't know the answer to that i know you know, the, the the bottom line has always been significant and it, and it never changes in a sense. You know, are we offending certain people, no matter people who we depend on for income and all of that, uh, those reasons, which of course is deadly for art because it inhibits, uh, right? And, and and it censors. But then every once in a while you'll get a show. I mean, and today, listen, the dramas that are on today are just so unbelievable. Uh, but you'll get a show like The Bear. Yes! Yeah. The bear was on my best list. <laughs> gets it all, does it all, says it all without saying it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just see this mixture of people from different ethnicities, different places, involved in a common cause, the cause being, of course, their lives and all. And, you know, they never point out, oh, this guy's black, or this guy's Asian, or this guy's dead, or I'm up again. You don't, they're just people. And the one just happens to be this, and one just happens to be that. But they do have the same problems that most people have. And when you go, when you do that, you do a show like The Bear, you do more for bringing people together than anything else. Absolutely. I, the, bear, like, the Bear seems to be a callback to these, well, maybe a modern take on these workplace comedies that were really prevalent in the 70s, like Taxi or even like something like Cheers, where you had, you know, all of these people kind of converging this one place and seeing how their different personalities engage with each other. But, you know, Cheers, we would talk about, you know, network and sponsors and all that. Nobody, you never saw anybody drink the alcohol, you know? <laughs> Norm, Norm was supposed to have seven, eight beers at the a night, you never saw them drink one, right? Yeah. That's a very good point. Honestly, I don't remember. They weren't allowed to, to actually put the alcohol to their lips. <laughs> See, I know you have one show in particular that you've been waiting to ask Gary about. Uh, yes, <laughs> I have to ask you about this show because I thought I made it up. I thought I dreamt this show. But Homeboys in Outer Space was a real show, was it not? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, I believe the show only lasted for one season. It may have been on WB or UPN or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was UPN. It was UPN with Disney. Whoa, talk about some monsters to deal with. Um, <laughs> I just finished doing the, you know, I did Fresh Prince, and uh, I got a call from Eric Van Lowe, who created the show. I didn't know Eric. He says, hey, I got this crazy goofball comedy, you know, and would you like to come on board? And I said, 
It takes place in the 23rd century, and it's it's a garbage a rocket ship, a garbage. I said, yeah, hell, that sounds fun. You know, I get to write some wild stuff. And then what I didn't realize is you got to deal with Disney. I'm blackballing myself. And um, <laughs> and uh, they're going to give you notes. Notes on your story in the 23rd century that you completely fabricate. For example, uh, we don't we don't buy that you can make everybody in the bar disappear with this one zap gun. Well, uh, no, you have, well, you have proof. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> we don't believe that when the 27-year-old grandmother is cryogenically unfrozen, she's attractive enough for the other guy to fall in love with. And, the, 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 and here's the one you love. We did. We got a pitch from the Disney exec, and I'm not going to name him, but I should. And I'm sitting with Eric Van Lowe, and Eric Van Lowe uh, is a proud man. And uh, and our cast were, was black. Um, and uh, the Disney exec says, "We have an idea for an episode where the boys land on a white planet and teach them how to play basketball." <laughs> and they're dead serious. No, we know. <laughs> there was no confusion in my mind. Did we just hear that? No. <laughs> and, you know, if you tell them it's really thinking, you're both out of a job. Uh, but anyway, it, it, it was a short-lived series. It could have been better. It had way too much interference. Um, we had some pretty good writers on that stuff, you know? So it wasn't just a, it wasn't for lack of creativity. It was just, you know, just... It, it just didn't work in so many different ways. I, I'm honestly, I'm glad that you have any stories that you could tell me because I remember watching that show for that entire season that it was on. I was so enamored at the idea of these two black guys in space in their space hoopty just going around getting into zany adventures. It felt like Fresh Prince meets Star Trek in like the coolest way. And, you know, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but I would love to just go back and watch a few episodes of it to just see how, how it is. You know, um, Gary, I just want to say this to you as two kids who are watching the show 30 years later we're not kids anymore we're in our 30s but we grew up watching your show oh, these shows all of your shows really but boy meets world specifically we've gone to several of the live pod meets world shows where the cast have been touring around the country talking to fans answering questions this show is I feel like more popular than it ever has been. I know that during the time when it was on, it was always this like, are we going to get canceled? Are we going to get canceled? But it has lived on so much. There are huge fan groups all around the country, all around the world, who still gather to talk about the show, to talk about their favorite episodes, these characters that you've contributed to. So I just want to, I, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever just given you your flowers and just said like, hey, you've contributed to great television, but there are people whose lives have been greatly impacted who still get together to this day to talk about the art that you've contributed to. So I, I, I don't know if anyone's ever just told you that, but you've just done no, a fantastic job. Thank you. It's Nice of you to say that. It's nice to hear that. And uh, I will take flowers if you want to send them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Don't, don't tempt us. And on, to, um, to Tony's point, the idea that you would write characters 
um of all colors as fully fleshed human beings mm-hmm. is actually something because to your point we've seen a lot of television shows that have black characters and write them as like oh the basketball playing uh poor you know like all these stereotypes yeah, they, they become disney correct yeah. <laughs> we love that you don't want to be allowed in the park again right <laughs> Exactly. Your your Disney Plus subscription was just canceled. Um, so my TV just blew up, I guess. That <laughs> um, so we do want to thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Before we go, what sure. are you working on anything? What are you working on? What are you watching? Just we love asking these questions. Uh, I'm, watching, I'm watching The Curse. I mean, I'm so into drama that, you know, you, you, you wouldn't believe my, my wife was in comedy. The Curse, the Fargo season five, um, uh, you know, I mentioned the bear, uh, just can't get enough of these. I wish more were on, you know, I watched the lessons in chemistry and there's just so much wonderful, wonderful uh, writing being done and acting and all that. So it's really, it's such a golden age of television. I hope people appreciate it. I, sometimes I think everybody takes it for granted. You know, we got... There's 39 platforms and this and that, but what it takes to put on a show like that, to, to, to create those characters, to write the stuff, to write the stories, to, to keep the arcs going. I mean, this is this is talent, this is work, this is art. And you know, I, I hope people appreciate that, that when they try and escape from you know the everyday world, which needs escaping from, uh, that uh, they appreciate the, the, those c- contributions, you know? So um, now, for, personally, I just finished the screenplay, which has been my joy to, to work on. It, it's semi-autobiographical. It's about a, a two young boys in Brooklyn, 1961, kind of age. It's called 1961. And yes, it's dramatic and funny. Um, and I love it. And I just think it makes a great motion picture. It's a period piece. Uh, and I'm shopping it, but uh, tough to find. Uh, it, it's tough to find um ways to sell things today it's just it's just this you know trust us we're familiar <laughs> i'm retired i don't have representation so i don't have anybody you know actively shopping material now the other thing i have on amazon is a romantic comedy called impossible uh, it's, it's a fun fun read i co-wrote it with bob tischler who was the executive producer of uh, boy meets world and bob goes way back to talk about pedigree bob goes back to original Saturday Night Live being the writer and producer. Wow. So, uh, yeah, we, we, and we wrote this silly romantic comedy, but it's, uh, it's on Amazon. It's called Impossible. And we just need about five million more people to buy it. We'll, 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 be... <laughs> we'll, we'll get those numbers up for you. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll push it out to our audience. Absolutely. I hope we don't lose people after this broadcast. <laughs> oh no, absolutely not. I, are you kidding me? I think you endured a lot more people to your work, especially knowing your resume. Thank you so much for your time. We mostly are being mindful because we could talk about television forever. We've made a career out of it. Um, but that said, we want to thank you so much for taking the time, so much for your contribution. And just thank you for saying yes. Yeah, and just again, thank you for the art that you've made because I'm telling you, you have made some of the best episodes of television I've watched in my entire life. I'm glad glad I did this. This (laughs) Thank you, and you guys are great. I enjoyed it, really did.
Thank you so much. Like we just wrapped up with Gary, but like we we stopped recording and then he just randomly told us like five incredible Hollywood stories <laughs> afterwards. Like talking to these people who have such a history in the business yes. as a TV fan, yes. I'm losing my shit. I don't know yes. if our audience is living for this the way that I am, but just as someone who grew up loving specifically Boy Meets World and Fresh Prince, I can't think of a better guest to have on. That's what I'm saying. Like to to hear and understand that this is someone who not only wrote amazing episodes of television, but specifically of a show like Boy Meets World, like the fact that he wrote and then we'll have a good time then, you know, the episode where yeah. Chet dies, the episode where the alcohol is brought in. And well, the fact that he did the Brave New World, the finale, which I think is one of the greatest finales of all time. Like, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but I can't wait for you to see that and then put that together with those other episodes that he's written. He is so good at making impactful television. Can I tell you, by the way, when you told me like, hey, we have the opportunity to talk to this guy, I did not know he was white based off of his filmography. <laughs> he mostly worked on a different world and fresh prints. And so I and homeboys now the space is on his resume. Please, I had no idea he was white. <laughs> I knew he was white because I had to go find him. However, I will say, looking at his resume, I was like, okay. And when he said Brooklyn, I was like, I knew you you had some history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Both <laughs> With show. It in order to. But honestly, um, it was such an honor to talk to Gary Definitely. and hear his stories. And he was very, very gracious enough to say that he will have a conversation with us again. I'm I'm I can't fangirl enough, bro. I was like, here's the thing. I literally when he talked about the fact that he wrote that Trevor dies um in the Fresh Friends. Again, I was like, you unlocked a core memory. Like, that is something, like, I remember as a child being there for that. I instinctively premiere. quoted his own words back to him, bruh. Can you imagine, like, you writing something and then 30 years later, someone quoting that back to you? Like, that's wild that he's had that kind of impact. Uh, wild. Um, but he did have that kind of impact. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. There will be an extended interview, which you, I'm telling you, you're gonna want to listen to because his stories are amazing. But you gotta um, go on our Patreon to listen to it. <laughs> go Bitches! on our Patreon to listen to the extended episode. Um, listen to all the stories about Gary. We will be back, you guys, with more Boy Meets World episodes. But we thought that this conversation was worth sharing, and um, honestly, I'm very, very happy that we did it. So, hope you you enjoyed it as well. And guys, of course, if you have any other notes or comments on this episode or any other episodes, you can reach out to us at Brummage World everything on all the social media sites on brummeetsworld.com you can email us at brummeetsworld at gmail.com let us know what you thought of our interview with gary and uh yeah just you know let us know your thoughts on the show in general because this is the greatest way for us to make this podcast is to get the community involved get involved share your voices we want to know absolutely and leave us voicemails we have merch all of the regular things. We have merch, yes. And <laughs> on our Patreon, you get a discount on merch, by the way. So, um, you guys, we look forward to seeing you at the next one. And remember to dream. Remember to try. And do good. Do some damn good. Later, bro! Later, bro! You don't have to do it every time. <laughs> <laughs> 
This episode of Brum Meets World was produced by Siege and edited by Tony Curtis. Brum Meets World is a two free tokens media production. Bye! Bye. When the spawn meets world.